In a world where tropes run rampant, two men stand tall. Well, one not so tall. They are ready. They are steadfast. They are making it up as they go along. They are the Trope Stormers. Hello and welcome to Trope Stormers, your titular trip through the world of tropes. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Jeeves. And I'm ably assisted by Jim Carberg. Jim, good evening. Trope Stormers! I've just given it a whirl. Yeah, I see what you did there. I quite like it, but I don't know where we're going with it. So, I am the trivia tool. Trivia tool? Trivia I, am, tool. I was the lighthouse last time. You were the lighthouse. You're like, cast adrift on a, an ocean of trope, the tearaway tangent that I am. You're mooring us like a lighthouse, anchoring us. So, we got past the pilot... And we've commissioned them another episode. We have listeners. We have listeners. Plural. Whoa. So thanks for that, guys. It's uh, great to have you on board. Much appreciated. Um, you, you, they got their head around the format. I think uh, we've had some feedback on it. What was the feedback? Well, I think my scoring system needs a bit of a review. I think I was a little bit kind on one of my favourite films last week. I mean... Because when I look back... You could have been a bit biased. I kind of doubled up on some of the positives... I didn't want to break your heart, Jim. I'm not going to lie to you. You gave me a look as if I was like about to drown your baby. It's all part of the, the trope-storming learning curve, isn't it? I think yeah. so. We're still feeling our way into this. We're still working out the format, getting the kinks ironed out. Generally, yeah, we don't really know what we're doing, but we're having a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, it was great fun last time, and thanks to anybody who's uh, liked, followed, subscribed off the back of that. Recommended even, potentially, at this early juncture. Yeah, quite, quite. So keep that up. Yeah, and any newcomers, welcome. Joined us on episode two. You have a, a two-part Jurassic Park tour de force as our opener. You know, seminal podcasting work, I feel. And you're here for the difficult second album. It's going to be a tough act to follow, I'm not going to lie, you know. But, you know, all we can do is just wade through the quagmire that is our next choice. So do we need to kind of recap, because it's a second episode, what we're actually trying to do with this podcast, Chris. I think we could, but, you know, if if the runtime goes on a bit, we could just add, add out. We'll see how we get on. Yeah, yeah. So the basic premise is, we are the Trope Stormers, we're trying to look at... Are we not the titular? Titular. Titular. We are the titular Trope Stormers. Titular, that's the pronunciation. Is that what we have to use each time? I believe so. Okay. We are the titular Trope Stormers. We are here to talk tropes in movies, TV, film... Mass media. Mass media. So, for instance, Game of Thrones recently. Ooh. Yeah, it's all been about, without spoilers here, the big bad, the Night King. Yep. Coming. Pointy head. He is the impending doom. He is. Yeah, so the big bad and impending doom being classic tropes that are found in all sorts of things. So, like Lord of the Rings, you've got... Big bad things. Big bad things. Indeed. Big you... bad red eyes. Big bad, oh yeah, you've got the, the flaming eye on top of the tower. You've got Sauron? Sauron, yep. Sore eye, Sauron. Bad case of eye drops needed there. Yep. And then you've got people like uh, Voldemort is a classic example of uh, the, the big bad and the, the, the impending doom idea. So that's tropes, right? There's right. sorts of things that are found in media. Uh, and we're going to talk some more about some in... Well, we have another movie lined up for you for tonight. Explain, Chris. Oh, I'm not going to get the cat out of bag just yet. Uh, our scoring system, we are going to be deciding whether this title is Eutropian 
or dystropian, dependent on the tropes featured and whether they are a force of good mm-hmm. to advance the plot and the characters and the story arc, or a force of evil, they're ham-fistedly just trying to tie up loose ends and make the whole thing work when it's not. Okay, and be confined forever to the fiery pits of... Tropedom. Tropedom of dystropia. Yeah. I mean, we could say they'd just be cast adrift on an ocean of trope. Lost with no trope. Without Jim, the lighthouse, Carlberg, to rescue them. I'm here, guys. I'm here. You're in good hands. You know, he's, it's a long bit of string that's tethering him to the lighthouse, you know, which he segues from. Me, I'm just out there in my boat, tin hat on, just rowing around in circles. With your volleyball with a face on it. Yep, just shouting obscenities at the sky, cursing the water and just kicking it with Wilson. Uh, so, Jim, what have you been up to lately? Any updates for me since our last podcast? Uh, obviously, I've been managing and working hard all, on all things trope to do with... Uh... Some fine editing, sir. Some fine editing Thank from you. the last episode. Thank you very much. Fighting hard to try and make us sound like we know what we're talking about. Yep. And, uh, you know, people seemed at least to have liked it in... Huzzah. A not singular number. Mm-hmm. So that's always good. And I've been enjoying things like the football, mate. It's been It's been fantastic watching the... Watching the title race. It's all over league. now. Uh, I'm going to pin, pin my colours to the mast as a Liverpool fan. Uh, it's, it's all over by the Champions League. It's been a fun ride and in Jurg we trust. So you've got that to look forward to. I'm Obviously, you, 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 didn't, you didn't win the title. But uh, is but there any, anything else you've been doing to, to keep your mind off that? Keep my mind off that. Well, I don't know if any of our dear listeners are familiar with ITV and its output. Uh, they've been showing a lot of James Bond films. I think they got them cheap. So they're working their way through the canon of James Bond and they currently are residing in Roger Moore territory. Not my favourite Bond. He is Partridge's favourite Bond. But uh, me and my long-suffering girlfriend, Lisa, um, had the mispleasure of catching a little bit of Octopussy at the weekend. And it's a film that has not dated well, I can tell you. It's definitely not going to pass the Beckdale test. It is not very... Hashtag me too. It is a dinosaur of misogyny. And there is a moment, and I've got it on my list here, of things as octopusy boobs zoom. Those are my words, and I will break that down for you. What? Yeah, exactly. Octopusy boobs zoom. Yeah, those three words in a sentence tell me everything I need to know and everything you need to know. So, you know that bit in Bond, in the old ones, where he uh, gets his toys, like Q pops by and is like, pay attention, 007. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. and he gets like random things. That's a trope in itself, Bond getting a series of seemingly ridiculous toys which are somehow going to be worked into the plot. Yeah, like a, a, a laser, a, a pen that turns into a rocket launcher or something. Yeah, yeah, something yeah. MacGyver like that. Yeah. Um, and there's a moment where he's getting briefed and his mind wanders, as ever it does, and it is... Old oh, James. I know, the cad. And uh, Roger's attention is taken by a, a lady in the background who I believe is typing and is rather buxom and wearing a rather revealing uh, well, low-cut top. And there's a video camera and Bond gets distracted with playing with it 
and there's a screen behind him and he does a what can only be described as a Benny Hill style extreme close up of her boobs an octopusy boobs him if you will yes like in out in out let's leave it there yeah uh, <laughs> and it it had me cringing and it had uh, long term suffering Lisa uh, it got her feminist heckles up and uh, I'm really surprised it made the edit and that ITV didn't just give that the chop it was very Benny Hill-esque yes it's of it's time but we've moved a long way since then so that's my Bond flavoured rant Okay. Managed to okay. tie it in with some tropes. You'll be proud of me. Yeah, well done, mate. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's a, it's a good route to segue from in terms of the trope. I tried out your segue thing. Yeah, thanks. That's a, so halfway there. Got halfway. Got a good effort there. Yeah. Um, so we've got lots of talk of water, lots of talk of the sea. Mm. Bit of a clue about what we're talking about today. You know, I didn't see that coming. That's right. I had to bring you back, mate. Well done, sir. Appreciated. We're back on track. We're back on track. Yeah, we were talking about this week's movie. Yes. Exciting. So last week was your baby. Yep. I'm not going to say this week is my baby, because it's not. However, on our WhatsApp conversations, other messaging services are obviously available. I was pitching hard for Back to the Future. I'm not unashamedly. I was pitching hard. Yeah, it's a it's a top 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 call. Yep. And I thought I thought that's where we were at. And you made a very good point. It's a trilogy. It was made concurrently in a Lord of the Rings style. Mm. And the whole three movies are integral to the arc. So I'm happy at some point, maybe in the future, to do an episode-by-episode breakdown of the futures. Yeah. But maybe not for episode two of our podcast. I mean, don't get me wrong, Chris. Right? We're not ruling it out. We we got balls on this podcast. We do. Right? Sometimes we're tickled. Yeah. We got balls. We got stones. We got co-jones. You name it. We've got them. Love it. Minerals. Right? Minerals. We got the minerals. Mm. Yeah. So we're not afraid to tackle the big issues. You said we films. were afraid. I'm not afraid. We are, at some point, going to tackle Back to the Future. As God is my witness. Sick. I promise you now we're going to hit that. Mate, I just hope we've got enough road to get up to 88 miles an hour. Where we're going, Chris. We don't need roads. Out of the park. Ah. Right. So I'm excited. However, we, we're, we're not. The trouble is, if we're going to try and tackle time travel and three films in one for our second, it's a tall order, but I think we can do it. I think we, you know, the audience as the audience, we need to kind of build the format a little bit I further we before we tackle Set out our stall, really establish ourselves on the market before we go big. I mean, we've got the room on the horizon. Remember? Oh yeah. So we've got to build our way to that okay. somehow. However, in said uh, WhatsApp conversation, you did fire back with gangster movies, which, big fan, happy to do. I then think we sort of ended up with Buddy Cop. It just made so much sense. A trope-tastic movie, maybe, for dystropian or utopian purposes. Stay tuned, you'll find out. Oof. So we mentioned water before. There is an ocean's worth of water in this movie, but it's not Waterworld. Oof. And neither does it feature Kevin Costner. Okay. I've still got a lot of movies there. Yeah, I haven't narrowed it down too much. Oh, okay. Okay. Continue. Okay, indeed. Um, it is most definitely not totally excellent and bodacious. However, bra, it does feature some rather interesting lingo. So we talk. It sounds very, um, very California. Very. It's west. It's got a West Coast flavour for sure. 
So it's uh, bodacious. That that was that sounded like a Bill and Tedism to me. You would be right, sir. Okay, Bill and Ted. Most egregiously. Well, are we talking? We're talking Keanu. Are we talking? <laughs> yes, the motherload. We have got the most wooden mannequin to ever grace the silver screen. God, I love that man. In our discussions, you threw heat out there. I mean, it has a bank robbery subplot slash plot involving uh, involving uh, masks. Quite yes. famously. Famously involving masks. Yeah, of, of uh, some uh, ex-presidents. Okay. Yeah, quite quite creepy as well. If I remember right, I remember I remember watching this back after you suggested it, and uh, the, having the you know these we fierce blue eyes behind a, a Ronald Reagan mask. It was quite uh, quite something. Piercing. I, piercing eyes. It was uh, it was it was chilling, chilling. Almost but, as if a ghost had been in the room. Oh. Oh, sir. <laughs> sir. Get that pottery wheel out now. Oh. <laughs> Tell um, me more. Demi more. Oh, sir. <laughs> Snap. Yes, well played. Well, I, I, I guess we've, uh, we've built it up somewhat. Is it time for the big reveal? So surfing. Surfing. Bank robberies. Bank robberies. Keanu Reeves. Piercing blue eyes behind an ex-president's mask. By none other than Star of Ghosts. Patrick of Swayze. Patrick of God Swayze. rest your soul, sir. Sombre moment. <laughs> it can only be... Point break! Point break, brah. Point break, brah. Um, yeah, fun movie. It was fun. It was silly fun. It was... It'd been a little while since I'd seen it. And it's... It's a bit ridiculous. I mean, the clip that you sent me... Sending up like the comedy trailer, it really like nails it. Like a series, uh, an FBI agent is going to infiltrate a gang of surfers who are committing bank robberies. Why? It's the nineties. <laughs> I mean, it's obscene. It's crazy in its uh, in its premise. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But. It's magnificently, stupidly, wonderfully action packed. In its defence, it is the best. Surfing bank robbery film I've ever seen to date. Hands down. But is that by default? Yeah, that's the thing. It's also the worst surfing <laughs> bank robbery film. It's got every accolade. I've ever seen, which, which clearly makes it the only one. Mm. So, uh, yeah, we're 1991. 91, so we're going, yeah. we're going back again, uh, further than Jurassic Park. Two years prior. Yep. So, so I, was, I was very young when this film came out, so I didn't see this really until I got to university, really. Mm. I, you know, it's one of those things where... Back in the days of the digitally versatile disc, nice. uh, which I've got some somewhere. I think they, I use them as coasters now or something. Yeah, they're pretty much, as obsolete formats go, they are worthless. They're out there with the mini disc. It's one of these ones you used to pick up for like three for ten pounds. In the at, bargain. In bin. the bargain bins. Yeah. And uh, I, remember, I remember doing that and, and it having, I wouldn't quite say pride of place on my shelf at university, but, um, you know, it was there somewhere mm. on, in, in the bargains and, you know, a great fun watch, stupid as hell, but yeah, it's one of the early '90s action films that I remember watching, enjoying. Big fan of Patrick Swayze. God rest his soul. Um, you know, he generally is a ghost now, so let's hope that he's 
getting angry and life, shifting. Life imitating uh, fiction. Life imitating, or life art, imitating art, is, as the phrase would go. Indeed. See, my introduction to this is actually quite recent. Big fan of the Bill and Ted films. Like that, that was almost my Jurassic Park. Uh, I think that accolade is reserved for Back to the Future. I only saw this a couple of years ago, and I think I was quite hungover when I watched it. I just wanted like an easy watch with my housemates. Yeah, I remember just really enjoying it, it being the right movie for my frame of mind at that point of time. And going back and watching it, uh, as I did last night, yeah, it's pretty daft. It's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's got a big-end uh, director behind it. Catherine Bigelow, who uh, is more famous for The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty. This was her sixth uh, outing as a director, and it was also executively produced by none other than James Cameron of Terminator and Avatar and uh, Titanic and uh, other things. So I believe they were married at the time, weren't they? They were married at the time, yes. Uh, And he wasn't credited due to some sort of wrangling with the Actors Guild of America. I mean, did that go badly? Because, I mean, she produced some pretty dark films after that. I mean, Bomb Disposal and the <laughs> Assassination of Bin Laden following this. It's a, that's a heavy, heavy tonal shift. I don't want to comment on uh, Messrs. Cameron and Bigelow's uh, post-marital states. There was quite a gap for both of them before they sort of picked up, so maybe maybe they had a, a bit of a sort of time in the wilderness. I don't know. I'm purely, he, he was buggering off in submarines all the time. I was purely, I'm purely speculating at this point. I have nothing else to go on. Okay, very diplomatic there, Chris. Yeah. So, um, yeah, 1991, Catherine Bigelow. We'll talk cast in a bit, but talk, talk budget to me. Well, I'd say it was... Talk money to me. I'd say a snip, but then I thought again, like, where did they spend the money? It cost $24 million to make. Bear in mind, the record at the time was still Terminator 2 with $102 million to make, and it went on to gross uh, $97 million. Wow. So it took her a while to surpass this. So she must have just been, like, knocking about Hollywood, just trading off point break. Not a bad place to be, don't get me wrong. So, and uh, there's a good, good cast in this as well. There is a good um, cast. Well, obviously, we've n- mentioned the Sways. Obviously, Keanu. And then, uh, is it Gary... Is it Boosie? Bussie? How, how would we say that? Gary Boosie, I Gary believe. Gary Boosie, who plays Papaz. Who is kind of a deranged... He's the cop in those movies where it's like... He's a complete live wire. He's a complete loose cannon, but he gets results. Although, in this case, he's not quite getting results. It kind of feels like he's fallen on hard times... And at the beginning of the film, he's charged with rescuing two bricks off the bottom of a swimming pool, blindfolded. Which, for some inexplicable reason, is part of basic FBI training. On-the-job training. Get those bricks. Even he questions it in the movie. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, something tells me that Gary Boosie is a bit of a loose unit. He, uh, <laughs> I think he probably just that was probably an improv day, and he just brought two bricks and a blindfold in, and they kind of just it made the, it he made said, the where's edit. the pool, and they went with it. I mean, he was in uh, Predator Two previously, and he plays the same character in that, like unhinged, strange, bordering deranged personality disorder cop. I mean, if he was typecast in the early nineties, he was getting the roles at least. Uh, so yeah, Papas. I think he probably chose his own name as well as a character because that's just what what is that? Yeah. Uh, but it's a cop. It's a cop movie. So the the, the premise 
behind it is that it's a you know crime thriller. Mm-hmm. Your buddy um, cop movie. Your buddy cop movie. So we've got um, Keanu Reeves, uh, Gary Boosie as Papas, and then Keanu Reeves as Johnny Utah. Johnny Utah. There's a bit of a story behind this, isn't there? I think. Uh, Johnny Utah mm. as a name. So uh, my research has turned up that. The screenwriter for this movie got paid a princely $6,000, which meant he wasn't able to make ends meet at the time, so he had to get a part-time job waitering tables. He was a big sports fan, and apparently uh, drew inspiration on Johnny Utah's name from the NFL quarterback, Joe Montana. Johnny Utah, though, just sounds a bit pants. It's not a plausible name. You don't really get away with stuff like that these days in films it kind of seems a bit, I- bit ironic or lampooned so mm. like uh, and it springs to mind with stuff like uh i guess in literary form you've got things like jack reacher jack reacher is is kind of this kind of action hero and then you've got things like duncan idaho in the the june series which kind of follows on with that weird american state thing but well, i frank mean herbert june frank herbert's june yeah ah, i a- love i already read the book i've never seen the film well, there's a new one, apparently. I'm very excited about this. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll look into Dune uh, as a book or, and other, other things. There's a great video game of Dune. Probably plays like absolute tripe now. Like but, Quake. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, there's, <laughs> IDDQD uh, and all that. Never go back, folks. Never go back. IDDKFA. Yeah, so well, Johnny Utah, Keanu Reeves, he's the, the protagonist. He's, yeah, he's the main, the main hero in it. Little factoid for you here. No, I love a factoid. Uh, so this film did win some awards, surprisingly. They might not be the awards you'd think they'd win, but MTV decided to honour Patrick Swayze and Keanu Reeves were both nominated for Most Attractive Male in 1991. Boosie didn't get a look in. Boosie was a long shot. You know, you wouldn't have got good odds, but, you know, had it have paid out, it would have been a good payday. Uh, no. Can you hazard a guess as to who scooped that? Bear in mind, it is pottery scene, ghost man versus Ted Theodore Logan. Did Johnny Utah come lately, come and steal the show? Is that what happened? Yeah, he won. Wow. He won. And for that performance, he shouldn't have won anything. (laughs) Swayze was a backseat and just purely a runner up in this affair. It's tragic. Swayze, of course, is is the villain in this. He's quite an enigmatic villain. Yeah, he's kind of revealed. like a weird Buddhist Yoda, new age, hippie, surfer, righteous, stoner. What an image. Yeah, and what Barnet. He looks great. He's a good looking man. He was really... I, 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 it does, does surprise me that he didn't win that award. Yeah, so he's, he's this kind of zen guy. Uh, we, should, we should bear the premise of the story is that... Johnny Utah, who goes undercover with that name in the the <laughs> yeah. worst undercover movie of all time. That is a good point. Like, surely some like you change your name. You're going undercover, hiding in plain sight. It's like when James Bond, to segue back to uh, Roger Moore, just introduces himself as James Bond to everybody. Shittest spy in the world. Yeah, like terrible spy. Like in spy circles and espionage circles. The name's going to get around, you know. Surely you assume other identities and covers and 
have a backstory. You can't just always be James Bond. Here's that Bond twat with the gadgets again. Oh, here he comes. Shaking oh. and stirring. Don't worry, just like send a, send some boobs towards him. He'll be anybody's. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, worst undercover FBI agent of all time. Johnny, Johnny, Johnny Utah. Johnny Utah. Has to infiltrate Patrick Swayze, Bodie's gang. His surfer gang. His surfer gang. And he does that quite easily, doesn't he? Yeah, well, all it really takes is like a fake backstory with a really poorly drawn female lead, played by Laura Laurie Petty, who plays Tyler, who is kind of the uh, Manic Pixie Dream Girl, or Manic Pixie Tank Girl, I think some people refer to it as. I mean, that's almost a trope in, in and of itself, if a character can also be a trope. Like, it's kind of... Of course. The, the girl of your dreams who kind of ticks all the boxes, but is kind of really tough and kooky and quirky and like Zooey Deschanel is often held up as the archetypal manic pixie dream girl this is kind of like a cheap knockoff that does surfing in in my humble opinion so yeah all he has to do is just basically make up a load of like lies about how his parents died because her parents died so suddenly almost before her eyes she suddenly takes pity on him whereas before she was pouring scorn all over him and suddenly volunteers to uh, to give him surfing lessons, and through association he gets inducted into Bodie's gang. He plays a bit of football, and boom, he's the boy. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, you talk, we talk about tropes there. It's like oh, he can, he seem, seemingly can be able to do a great deal very easily in this film. He can't deliver lines. Well, yeah, maybe that's the maybe <laughs> that's the kryptonite uh, of his character. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's a, a college football player. All state college football player. All state, yeah. Utah for Ohio. 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 Ironically, yeah. <laughs> no one picks up on that. No, he, he plays all state football quarterback. He's the hero. He's the jock in the uh, varsity jacket that all the chicks want to get with. And the FBI. This is where it gets really stupid, isn't it? Where it says the FBI say you've got to infiltrate this gang who we think are surfers. So we're going to pay to teach you how to surf, and that happens. Now, as daft as that sounds, and it is daft, don't get me wrong, this actually happened. Shut the front door, my friend. Yeah. Substitute surfing for Hell's Angels bikers. This actually happened. The FBI did recruit somebody and tried to get them to infiltrate the Hell's Angels bike gang. Well, that's a bit different, surely, isn't it? It's just about learn to ride a bike and then because <laughs> they're, they're an actual gang they're, that's, that's a thing that's a real right? thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying no you're right it is absolutely ridiculous but there is some reflection in reality tenuous as that link might be but they changed their name from flipping Johnny Utah <laughs> certainly but, but since we're focusing on Johnny Utah the film wasn't always called Point Break it was originally called Johnny Utah which, I don't know about you, <laughs> would not have invited me to go and watch this film. It was, uh, that was then dropped, and they tried out Riders of the Storm. Sounds a bit Western, that, doesn't it? It does. Obviously, that's, bar- that's influenced by The Doors. If like, the eagle-eared amongst you might also realise that The Doors song has nothing to do with surfing whatsoever. So that was then dropped, and Point Break was a name that they came up with partway through filming it and it seemed to fit like Rip Curl something to do with Rip Curl wasn't that like a 
brand. Yeah, it was a very 90s clothing very brand. Very 90s. Had some very uh, dodgy rip curl. I still remember like a rip curl jeans and trainers. Case, like. Oh, the uh, the. The foam sort of Pepsi style one, or the, the tin. Yeah. The tin that if you're walking down the corridor or something, and or no, walking down the stairs at school, and you had the tin in your hand with your books, and you dropped it, it just exploded down the stairs. Your erasers, your pencils, your protractor and set square, everywhere. Like Everyone's caught in the fallout. It makes a huge noise. And you have a pencil case tin wanker. And so when the pencil falls on the floor, the point might break. Thank you. We're back, baby. <laughs> okay. So, I completely forgot. Well, <laughs> I, I, I got us to that segue, but not to, not to actually what we were talking about. Yeah, so we've got John Utah. We've got Bodhi as the villain of the gang. He's infiltrated. We have Pat Pass, the deranged copper. Yeah. We have the... Lucy, Lucy Goosey. Lucy <laughs> Gary Boosey. <laughs> is this going to develop like I can never remember the names of things so these are just going to be the names that we're going to start adopting we're sticking with the dinosaur a little bit like uh, what was it uh, daffodil head spitty thing spitty daffodil spitty head daffodil head and fat guy from third rock okay I see how this is I see this so I guess uh, next up you've got an incredibly shouty angry performance from John C. McGinley uh, who plays Ben Hart, better known to probably our listeners as one of the characters in Scrubs who is equally sh- uh, shouty and cutting of JD. The consultant. I forget his name. I do as well. Um, but uh, to take us back a step, uh, Johnny Utah might not have been played by Keanu Reeves. Apparently Patrick Swayze tested for it originally and it was offered to Matthew Broderick and Willem Dafoe. Bueller. Uh, and other people who auditioned for it included... Willem Dafoe? <laughs> <laughs> Elias <laughs> from Full Metal Jacket. No, Platoon. I always get him. It's from Platoon. With the most epic death scene in any movie. I mean, he's a much better actor, but he's yeah, got... Yeah, but can a... you see him as a surfer? He's got a face like a set square. <laughs> He's more Green Goblin than Surfer Dude, for sure. So yeah, dwell on that for a second whilst I just reel off some names but auditioned for this rather spectacular movie. Johnny Depp, hot in the early 90s. Val Kilmer. Batman. Yep. And Charlie Sheen. Now Val Kilmer, here's a little segue for you, you might enjoy this. You know the football scene they have at night? I couldn't help but think of Top Gun's Running with the Boys Volleyball Homoerotic Spectacular. I don't know if that says a lot about me as a person. Well, there's quite a, quite a bromance in this. There's that sort of trope, I guess, of the, the Stockholm Syndrome, of him getting in too deep with, mm. with the gang and, and you know buying into their... Surfer I, ethos. Surfer ethos and zen and ideas... And uh, that, that, that bears out all the way up till the end of the film. But yeah, what a list there. Uh, Johnny Depp, Val Kilmer, I get that. Charlie Sheen, Willem Dafoe. I know, right? That's incredible. And Catherine Bigelow wasn't originally slated to make this film. Production problems meant this film that was originally slated to air in 1987 got delayed and Ridley Scott of Alien film, uh, fame was lined up as the original director. 
I think it would have been a very different movie had that have transpired. In a, in a parallel universe. Willem Dafoe is surfing and an alien pops out of his chest. What could have been? What would it have been called? Who knows? <laughs> Johnny Utah. Not Johnny Utah. <laughs> All of which ramble, chat and waffle brings us now on to our trope scoring. Okay, so... Um, the main event, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm going to kick us off with our, our first trope. And this is about characters called Mary Sue's. Nice. Is this something you've heard of before, Chris? I have, because you told me about it. Can you remember what I said? I'm going to do this... I I am a teacher, folks. Uh, So I'm going to do this annoying plenary segment where I'm going to test him on the knowledge that he's been taught. This is like a comprehension at school, isn't it? Yeah, this will be on the test. Oh, man. I mean, I might have been drinking when you told me. That's problematic. I never said I was a good teacher. No, I never said I was a good student. (laughs) Uh, Okay, uh, a Mary Sue, you say? Yeah. Okay. I do remember this. I don't want to steal your thunder. Um, But it's one of those times I actually do remember something. Long-term suffering Lisa will testify to my terrible memory. It's when, as I understand it, a character can do anything. It, that that's my summation of it. Yeah, that's that's pretty close. Um, uh, when a character can do anything, and especially when it needs to serve the needs of the plot okay. as well. So, example. you know, well, let's say, for example, Chris, you're trying to infiltrate uh, a surfer gang on behalf of the FBI. Like that would ever happen. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's an out there example, I know, but I roll roll with it if you will, if you will. Okay. Um, humor me, and you need to you need to know how to surf. Uh, and indeed, skydive. This character in particular, he seems to be able to just do anything needed of him. Um, you know, go out on a on a surfboard and talk zen and surf and, and be able to conduct an investigation whilst uh, being able to surf at the same time. And it's, it's something that a lot of protagonists and a lot of writers end up guilty of with their protagonists because it just, it's quite a... A, a rushed way of, of getting to where the story points mm. need to be. So they're kind of making the main protagonist into like a human Swiss army knife, if you will. They've got like all the facets. They can do it all. Um, That's much better than Mary Sue. I like that. Thank you. Um, trope Stormers, we, we like to name our tropes. They might not use the conventional terms, but the point, I think, doesn't get lost. Uh, other examples, because we were discussing this earlier, and there's a few Star Wars examples, I believe, that sum up this Mary Sue predicament. Now, I might be controversial for the, the, the second episode. Are we going to get a lot of hate? Did we did we rig on Star Wars in the first one? I, we didn't really discuss Star Wars too much, but I'm a big fan of the original movies. I'm not such a great fan of... The newer ones. I don't know how you feel about that, Chris. Don't worry, I'm just calling our lawyer right now. He's actually... Where are you going with that? You're, you're sharpening something. <laughs> Put that down. Uh, I, I, I'm not a great fan. I'm particularly not a great fan of Ray as a character. I appreciate why she is popular. She's obviously a great role model for... A strong female independent woman. Absolutely, and I've no, no truck with that whatsoever. But... She is guilty of, and the writers are guilty of, her being able to do seemingly anything. Pilot a starship, no problem. Pilot the Millennium Falcon. Know that the Millennium Falcon's got some problem with the hyperdrive and how to fix it. Seemingly get on board with the grumpiest man in the universe, Han Solo. I feel like you've had a similar train of thought 
I mean, it's been brewing. I'm not going to lie, it's been percolating. However, I do have a similar beef to take it back to the original Star Wars. Luke Skywalker. I, he hung out with Yoda for what seemed like not very long. It was kind of like summer camp. And suddenly he was like all Jedi Master sort of thing. I kind of felt a bit that way with that. Yeah, he dropped a few rocks. He balanced a few rocks. Yoda was on his back. He went down a tunnel and didn't kill his father. Well, imagine if people were listening and they didn't know that. Yes. I also, also realised at this late juncture in the podcast, we have, n- we have not adhered to our policy of, we're going to spoil some stuff. Serious spoilage going on. Left, right and centre. Johnny Utah. Johnny Utah and Mary Sue. He can do anything. Having said that, Bodhi can as well. Because Bodhi comes in and gets all kick-ass, quite literally. Like, they both can fight. Johnny Utah, I can see it. He's FBI. And, you know, all-state NFL champion. I never really thought about it from the point of view of the, the villain. I don't know. Villains tend to get away with this quite a bit. They'll be able to do things that are highly skilled. I think it probably adds to their character somewhat, other than being more of a threat. Well, if we look at like the super villainous types, uh, as we said, uh, discussed earlier, Voldemort or Sauron, they're always kind of those ones are the pinnacle of bad guy, and they're also in a fantasy realm. They're a wizard, or they can get away with it. Bodhi is not. Yeah, I think we're supposed to sympathise with him and like him, aren't we, in a lot of ways. I think we're sort of meant to buy into his... It's kind of like when you're in first year of halls at uni and you're all smoking weed and being righteous and trying to set the world to rights and, you know, yeah, man, zen, brah, and, like, trying to sort of... Oh, it's all systems and control and... Oh, have you ever listened to Dark Side of the Moon backwards and synced it up with Alice in Wonderland, man? You know, it's it's sort of something that I think most people probably grow out of. He's seen supposed to be quite a cool and relatable character. Johnny Utah is a bit in awe of him, yet he's supposed to be who he's after. We're always saying he's a Mary Sue at being good at surfing and being good at skydiving. He's a pretty bad cop. <laughs> <laughs> he's a terrible cop. He's a terrible actor. I mean... Like, he... At one point, they're on a stakeout to watch the, the ex-presidents see if they turn up to rob a bank. He goes off to... To get meatball sandwiches. Meatball sandwiches. Which is important, especially and, on a stakeout. And Chris. You don't want to be hangry on a stakeout. Exactly. I mean, of my many friends in the Met, the first thing they'll tell you is the importance of a meatball sandwich. Right. In police work. However, I feel it gets in the way. Yeah. In the absence of a subway, what are you going to do? Not go on stakeout. Lucy Goosey, Gary Boosie, is uh, is is reading a comic and just laughing at a comic. <laughs> I let that go because I kind of feel like the ship sailed on him a long time ago. Like <laughs> he is a Mary Sue, but not great at the thing he's supposed to be doing. I don't think we hammered that point home enough. He's buying a meatball sandwich. It's daylight. <laughs> In the background, a car squeals to a halt. Four guys with guns. And masks off the ex-presidents run into a bank. The bank they're staking out. Keanu's buying a meatball sandwich. Lucy Boosie's reading a comic. It's no wonder they've got problems in LA. Yeah. Maybe he's not so much of a Mary Sue as we think. <laughs> His acting testifies to that. I, I think uh, the, the whole idea of a Mary Sue is handled in m- much better ways with some other characters as well. So if, in like the Indiana Jones series, for instance... Indy's shown to be 
quite capable at times, but there's always a lot of tension in the scenes. He man. always he always looks like he's about to lose out somehow. Yeah. And man don't like snakes. He do not like snakes. Yeah, so I guess good writers um, and you know better movies. These things are are, are are built better around the character. You know, they have they have flaws and conflicts that they have to get around. Like the, um, like a kryptonite complex. Superman is Superman, but you shove some kryptonite under his beak and shit falls apart. So Utah's got his meatball sandwich. That's his that's his kryptonite. <laughs> <of the piece. laughs> I think he's got. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Shall we move on to your next? What's what's your trope? Okay. So I'm going to pitch with this. Let's say that you are trying to infiltrate a surfer gang, okay? You don't know squat. I don't know where you get these analogies from. These. I know, right? You don't know squat about surfing. What is the easiest, fastest way for you to become badass at your chosen skill? I would guess it would require me to take uh, a considerable amount of time maybe a series of weeks or months to be able to plan a strategy yeah uh, find out the uh, time resources yep. fit in with my existing time and resources do to, some research you know work it around my actual find a trainer job of work find a trainer uh, set you some know, money aside set some money aside you know these things cost and you, you want to make sure you've got the right guy, right? And not only that, I mean, they say to become a pro at anything, like, it's 10,000 hours. So we're basically looking to condense 10,000 hours. And I work this out, like, 10,000 hours, I was thinking about this today. If you spend an hour a day working on something, trying to become amazing at it, that's pretty much 30 years, an hour a day. And obviously you've got to write off the early part of your life because you're a baby. That's still a very long period of time. But we don't have time because we're in a movie. What are we going to do? You've got a montage. Damn straight. Even Rocky had a montage. Wow. We've got a pretty classic version of that trope in this. We've got like the Coke Zero version of this in my opinion. Like Rocky I think really sets the standard in montage. You've got a badass soundtrack that really is pumping. The sort of thing that you'd have on your, like, working out marathon playlist. Something to get you real pumped. You're showing failure. Then you're showing small snippets of improvement. And then you're running up the stairs like it was nothing. You're catching that chicken like you're greased lightning. Like, you're shouting Adrian from the ring having just floored Apollo Creed. That's what I'm after, baby. Or you're the karate kid. You're the best Yeah, music usually helps, doesn't it? They used to have a, uh, like a... Um, Eye of the Tiger. Eye of the Tiger. Yep. Or Gonna Fly Now from the early ones. Yeah, even better, I guess. Uh, yeah, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, montage is a classic. Usually really good when somebody's trying to prepare for something or trying to show off, I guess, some knowledge that some people have hmm. or, or possess. Or it's like zero to hero. In the recent Marvel films, without giving any too, too many spoilers away for those, Tony Stark's character is shown to be uh, a genius. Okay, we're talking about surfing in this instance, but his ability to be a scientist, create something, develop the most fantastic technology that's ever been seen. All whilst being suave as. Absolutely, is, is, is shown off. And, and you know, it, it really brings these, these characters to life in quite a strong way. Does it do it for Johnny Utah in this instance? Well, we haven't got to that segment yet. 
you know, it's not time to like score. Stay tuned for that. I'm just saying the montage is out there and that's my first trope. Okay, so we've got uh, Mary Sue. Mm-hmm. Mary that, Sue and montage. And montage. All that them M's. So far. Serve me up your next, uh, your next trope. I'm at the baseline. I've got my racket in my hand. What you got? I think it's time some trivia, Chris. Ooh. Now, one, one thing I noticed when uh, we, were, we were watching this, the similarity to a, a very, very recent film series i mean we've we've been fairly critical of this so far as well as praising it in a lot of ways mm. but it seems to have had a very heavy influence on a certain modern franchise of films i think i know where this is headed are you talking about the fast and or the furious the fast and the furious is basically point break with car chases you've got a guy infiltrating a gang who are up to no good. As memory serves in the first one, they're basically stealing electronics. And at the time of making, those electronics concerned DVD players. <laughs> wow. How times have moved on. But you look back now, it's like they're just stealing obsolete formats. No one uses DVD. Jim Carlberg uses those as coasters, people. I use them as frisbees. Sometimes I use them as a mirror. Obsolete formats. Me, this players, I had one. Not ashamed to admit it. Fast and the Furious, poor man's point break. My second trope. So we have three really strong examples. Of your next trope. Of my next trope. So we have the mention of the 50-year storm cycle. Now, I actually wish I'd researched this. Like, I wonder if this is just like surfer waffle, or there is actually some truth in any of this. That every 50 years, there is a cycle where, like the planets aligning, like the situation is a perfect storm that is going to provide a killer wave, and you can predict when and where that's going to land. In this instance, Bells Beach in Australia. During a chase. During a chase. Nicely tying in. The 50-year storm cycle, and then uh, towards at a point in the, the film, it's heavily hinted that this is going to be somewhere important. I believe it finishes there. Yes, it ends on this note. It kind of happens early enough in the film when Johnny Utah has infiltrated said gang and is on an information-gathering exercise before anything really kicks off. Undercover. <laughs> Johnny Utah legwork. Johnny the sleuth Utah. Not tragic to die doing something you love. That's what Bodie tells him. Ooh, cryptic. So, yeah. Uh, Surfer robbers. I see where you're going with this. It's kind of at a similar time when we find a little bit out about uh, the backstory of the Johnny Utah character as he is portrayed to Bodie. I think the reason he's in the FBI is because he's got a, a, a football injury. He's, that... got, he's got a gammy leg. In his own words, my leg was at right angles. My knee, no. Bollocks! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can't do that. That was the first impression of the podcast it as well. Was. We had a we had a, a, a fair few last week. My leg was at right angles to my no fuck. <laughs> Whoa, just stick to that. Whoa. Oh, bruh, my leg was at right angles. No, I keep saying leg. It's not right. <laughs> oh, bruh, my knee was at right angles to my leg. Whoa. Whoa, nailed it. The football injury, a big thing. There's an amazing chase scene post bank robbery. Johnny Utah is in hot pursuit of Bodhi. It turns out most of LA don't lock any of their doors. People are at liberty to just run through the streets, run through people's houses, through their backyards, 
you know, a hurdle over the back gate. At one point, there is an amazing set piece. Bodie throws a dog. A dog is thrown and kicked. <laughs> I mean, who writes this stuff? He doesn't get paid enough, clearly. He has to moonlight at tables. And they end up in one of those like storm drain bits. I don't know what you call them. They seem to come up a lot, like Drive. Uh, the movie, he drives down it. There's a chase scene in Terminator 2. Oh. The T-1000 and Terminator 2 on a Harley Davidson. Like a concrete ditch. Yeah. yeah. Um, they seem to be very popular. Maybe it's an LA thing, I don't know. Greece uh, has a race in one. Greece has a race in one. It all happens. His knee buckles. We've alluded to this. He drops down, lands clumsily. His knee gives way. There's a lot of agony. He's rolling around and writhing and he draws his gun. He's got a clear shot on Patrick Swayze. Does he fire? No. You get the, the hot fuzz. The hot fuzz moment. He rolls on his... That was radio gold there, people. Uh, Chris was miming lying on the floor and firing a gun into the air. We'll, we'll, we'll gif it. We'll gif it for good. Good reference. Check it out. Basically the the classic moment from this film, isn't it? Yes. It is the iconic Spielberg scene, if you will, to pick up on Jurassic Park from last week. It's also funny as well how on that same day and the following day, his agony of his knee becomes a distant memory and he's walking about like nobody's business. Kicking dogs. Just kicking dogs. Take Catching dogs. On the volley. <laughs> <laughs> Catches one magnificently into Rose Ed. Um, yeah, very convenient that. So yeah, so we've got the... It's, it's like callbacks really, isn't it? Like foreshadowing and callbacks where they, 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 they hint at something that's going to pay off later in the film. With the biggest being the, uh, the, the, the gunfire. The vault. When uh, at the beginning, Boosie, uh, in one of his more lucid moments, uh, is prepping uh, Utah, and, and Utah observes that uh, they don't go in the vault. Burns time. And then, for some inexplicable reason, they go in the vault. And Should we talk through the bank robbery? How do they, how do they operate? Well, they are known as the ex-presidents. Can you name those presidents? They all wear masks. We've got a Nixon. There is Nixon. And there's some Nixon impressions. Can you do a Nixon impression? I'm not a crook. Far better than Mandela. I mean, Attenborough. <laughs> uh, I, can't do, I can't do Reagan, but Reagan's there. Reagan's there, yep. Uh, do we have a Jimmy Carter? I think we have a Jimmy Carter. Now, the next one, I'll be impressed. Uh, is it an older one? I have no idea of a chronology of presidents. Is it a Kennedy? It is not a Kennedy. Ah, that would be bad luck. You'll get shot if yeah, you're a Kennedy. bad things. LBJ. Lyndon B. Johnson. Hells yeah, man! Oh, he, the man who never wanted to be president. Exactly. Probably didn't want to do a bank robbery, neither. No, no. So yeah, the, the ex-president's gang. Yeah, they storm in, not guns blazing. They have never killed anybody in any of their heists. 30-odd to name. and 27 in three days, it says at one point. That's not even po that's not humanly possible. Anyway, artistic license. They storm in, unannounced, jump on top of things, make a pretty smooth speech, and steal money from cash registers. Nobody gets harmed, no one's a hero, and they drive off into the sunset. And they never enter the vault. And they ne this is a very important point. I cannot stress enough. 
Do not go into the vault. Don't stare into the light. Don't say Candyman three times in the mirror. Don't move. His vision's based on movement. Precisely. It's just the, the rules of the universe. Yeah. yeah. Consistent as gravity. Yeah. And he breaks them. He breaks his own rules. Breaks his own rules. Inexplicably for no reason whatsoever. Obviously, things kick off. It all goes pear-shaped. And then they break another rule. And this isn't one of their own rules, but I'd kind of say in Bank Robbery, this is 101. Do not take off your mask under any circumstances. They've got cameras even in 1991. The worst thing you could do. This is Johnny Utah levels of infiltration. (laughs) Yeah. But Johnny Utah doesn't get a mask. He's just got to wander in with his face on display. He's a copper. He actually goes to them afterwards. He faces them down, aims guns at them, at the bank robbery, as Johnny Utah. Yeah. Whoa, they come to his house. Uh, but there's, like, no animosity. It's all a bit too cool. It's all very odd. It's almost like everybody's ill on it, but no one's going to say anything. And it plays out very strangely with a lot of brah and buddy and zen mysticism. And I don't know. It's bizarre. So this, this comes at a point where it's a bit of a turning point in the film, isn't it? Yeah, they've got their meatball sandwiches that they've had to abandon, I should imagine. Or put to one side. Lucy Goosey Boosey has abandoned his comic. He might have eaten both. The only logical explanation. <laughs> the, man's a, the man's a loose cannon. Old two subs. <laughs> he wants his foot long. Is Boosie an anagram of subby? I think it might be. <laughs> <laughs> that is like podcasting there. You're, uh, you're in for a treat, podcast. Okay, so foreshadowing as a trope. Yep. It's old as hell. Classic, signposting. Classic signposting and exposition going on. Yep. But it's used very heavily throughout this film. The 50-year storm cycle, the mirrored image of the football injury, mm-hmm. and then the classic shot of firing into the air. Yeah. I mean, that's a good one for that reason, I think. I, I like that use of that one. I mean, if it came down to it, I'd let that slide. The bizarre never goes into the vault thing is... Breaking your own rules. Your number one rules. It's really odd. And unexplained. Let's talk about the latter half of the, the latter part of the film. Okay. So towards the end game, if you like. Okay, we're moving that way. Tyler. Tyler. We haven't heard much about Tyler. The love interest. His uh, his gateway drug into surfing, bruh. I don't think she's a brilliantly written character. Not very well drawn. Mentioned me previously. Manic pixie tank girl. Manic pixie dream girl. They're never like built on very realistic foundations. A nerd's fantasy realised. They don't have much depth to them, um, in my opinion, and that's why they are a trope in and of themselves. One thing I did notice... Do you notice how about, like, there was a lot of soft focus and a lot of smoky rooms, or hazy rooms? Like, all interior shots had this weird soft focus thing going on. Like, they'd bought it by the boatload. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty misty, right? It was like being on... Bodmin Moor or something yeah, like that. Yeah, like they just like got stole the dry ice or like effects uh, smoke machine from like uh, a touring band like Iron Maiden. Maybe James like, Cameron had it like hanging around from like uh, the cryo scene in Terminator 2 or something. Getting their money's worth. Yeah. You know, as, a, as a couple. But yes, Tyler. Now this is what a real sticking point for me. I've got, I've got two here for you. He's clapping, ladies and gentlemen, with yeah. rage. It was probably flapping, but let's call it clapping. It's more matching. <laughs> Because Tyler is his, his guru, originally. She's like his Mr. Miyagi. Gets him all like trained up in the art of surfing so he can infiltrate the surfing gang. And she has a personal relationship with Bodhi. 
So I can't remember exactly when it is, but there is like a, a sexy time on the beach scene uh, between uh, Johnny Utah and uh, Tyler. Long-suffering Lisa, at the time, without any provocation, just said, oh, you don't want to get sand in your vagina. And then said, oh, I hope she's got some caniston. Uh, their other products are available. But uh, I think that was probably revenge for all the, the things I subject her to uh, watching. In, in the films. In a purely film sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just glad we cleared that up. But no, she has this weird habit throughout the film of looking at Johnny Utah, deducing from his wooden mannequin-like features that are bereft of emotion exactly what he's thinking or what's going on. Like some weird clairvoyance going on. Something I also want to bring up at this juncture. Now, my research turned this up. And I think this is amazing. I almost discounted it at first. There was, and I don't know if there still is, a Point Break Live. So there was a theatre rendition of Point Break, which consisted of actors performing the entire movie on stage with one little catch. A random audience member was drawn on the evening to play the part of Johnny Utah, Keanu Reeves, unannounced, unknown to them, not knowing the script, the lines, the stage directions or anything, and them having to muddle their way through it with nothing more than cue cards. The point being, it would mirror the performance of Keanu Reeves. Brutal. <laughs> that is brutal. That is the sort of thing that could put you off acting for life. Kudos to him for, like, sticking it out. I, I like Keanu Reeves. I mean, it, John Wick's out at the minute. Which I've not is, seen a John Wick yet. Oh, you have to see John Wick. I have heard uh, good things. I mean, it, it's, um, you know, don't get me wrong. He's not playing Lear <laughs> uh, in these films, but he plays that kind of stone-cold killer quite well. There, there are some YouTube videos around of him actually doing his, his weapons training and things like that. I would not get on the wrong side of that guy, I tell you. Well, he'd done Matrix previously. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be criticising acting, that's for sure. <laughs> to his face. Now, this could turn into a little bit of a, a tangent for uh, Keanu. I, I too have a lot of love for the man. His surname is not too dissimilar from mine. Uh, yeah. Keanu uh, means the peaceful one in Chinese. He's also comes across as a really sound guy. So I heard a story that apparently when he's on set, he likes to get to know everybody. And I mean, like, the, <laughs> no, uh, like the set designers, Mr. The, Reeves. I know. I didn't say intimately. The carpenters, the, the I, all the various different people. He likes to build a relationship with them as a person and get to know them on like first name basis. And apparently, I think it was on the Matrix. He was talking to, I think the guy was a carpenter or something. And, I don't know, over maybe like a cup of tea, over some time, he'd related that he'd fallen on hard times and was struggling to make payments on his mortgage. And Keanu Reeves, to cut a long story short, paid his mortgage off. For no reason whatsoever, other than just being a really nice guy. And apparently he's given vast amounts of his fortune away to charity and lives quite a simple life. Yeah, it makes you feel bad when you've got people making musicals taking the piss out of him for that reason. Who's doing that? I don't know. I never. I I wouldn't entertain such a thing, even if I was invited on stage to play undercover 
legend Johnny Utah. Right, I've caught up with you now. Yeah. So, Chris, mm. back from the tangent. A good one. I enjoyed that. Yeah, no, I, was, I, had, I had a good time. But, you know, like I say, I mean, I would have been rowing around in the middle of Tropy Ocean. The trope of... What is it like? The trope of good hope. The trope of no hope. Yeah, the, the cape of good... The cape of... No, the cape of bad trope. Cape of bad trope. Yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm glad you rescued me. I would have been aimlessly uh, circling the Cape of No Trope uh, with Wilson uh, as my only company, ranting at the sky, had you not have uh, come and rescued me. So that brings us conveniently on to my final trope. This is one that plays out in countless movies. It's a, it's, it adds that little bit of spice. Uh, it really ups the ante. If, you know, you're up against it, I mean, not necessarily a montage, something bad is going to happen. And, and that bad thing is magnified, amplified massively by you having an implausibly small amount of time in which to do it. Okay. I suppose it's similar to um, another Keanu classic in, in Speed. Speed, Where yes. there's, a, there's a limit, like a, a speed limit literally set. Literally on a that, speed But limit. you're talking about a, a, a time limit. A time limit. So this isn't a 55 mile an hour thing. And if you were to take this to its really furthest like, logical conclusion, you'd be Kiefer Sutherland, Jack Bauer in 24. Oh, yes, sir. I think we should visit that for a trope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this embodies... It's a good example because it embodies this, doesn't it? The idea of, you know... These events occur in real time. Each event you see in 24 is an hour. Mm -hmm. We've got a six-hour time frame to save Tyler from certain death in this film. Certain death, yep. Uh, She's so, suddenly become uh, Princess Daisy of the Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah. And, and Keanu uh, Reeves is Mario. And Bodhi is Cooper, to good, break it down for Good me. callback. Thank you. Good callback. So talk us through the, the time frame for the six-hour against-the-clock well, pressure. Well, Basically, uh, Bodhi has uh, kidnapped Tyler and he's made a home video that shows that uh, Bodhi is with one of his goons and if Johnny Utah doesn't uh, conform and help them out with a bank heist, then she's going to be pushing up the daisies. Initially, well, he's conflicted. And I've got to say, Keanu Reeves' conflicted is not a range of emotion that he can pull off. I mean, firing at the sky sort of got him out of jail earlier, but this time it's more of a, a kind of facial... I think he actually, like, shouts fuck and punches something at one point. That is range. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. You can't all, teach that in acting three school. feet of it. And also that's a, another thing with James Bond movies. It's almost the, uh, the Austin Powers, like, I'm, I'm going to place you uh, in an incredibly slow dipping mechanism that you will easily be able to escape from. It's just a way of upping the ante, uh, creating more tension, more suspense, more drama, but you've imposed a time frame on it, basically. Okay, so, we've got to that moment now. Decisions have to be made. We have to score this. We have to decide whether this is a dystropian monstrosity or a utropian masterpiece. Just to give you an idea on the scoreboard, Jurassic Park is currently our top of the leaderboard. With a magnificent 3-1 win. Mm -hmm. um, got all the people talking. How is Point Break going to shape up? Well, as I said before, Chris, I like this film. I, I think it's a real enjoyable watch. Uh, shame it resulted in a terrible remake. Do not watch that, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't even bother. Good, good. Glad to hear it. 
It's a good. It's it's it is a good film. It's I would call fun it film. an enjoyable romp. A romp. Yeah. Yes, I like that. We'll go with that. So it's an enjoyable romp, hmm. but romp does not utopia make necessarily. Nay. The good elements of this for me, if we're thinking about my own tropes, I basically mentioned the 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 negative ones really. I do not like Mary Sue's. Okay. But I do like and against the clock. I do like a montage. Yeah. Okay, I, I like a montage as much as the next guy, but this, it was a bit wet. Like, like I, I think I said before, this is like the Diet Coke of montages. It's, you know, the, the tune isn't there to carry it across. He's learning to surf, not becoming a Jedi Master, boxing champion of the world. Right. I'm placing it in context here. Okay, so it's a... Oof. This is a tricky one, Chris. I like the against the clock. I like the ending. I think it's quite a nice, tense ending. It's a bit hammy. He throws his badge into the sea, which is a, a bit of a cliche, to say the least. Why doesn't he have a gun? Why do they engage in a fight on the beach? Why has he not got a firearm? Maybe it's because he's in Australia and he has no jurisdiction, so he's not allowed a firearm. I don't know. I'm not an expert. But also, when she gets released, he's lied to her. He's completely lied to her. He's a police officer that used her to infiltrate her mates. Patrick Swayze's basically left her for dead as well. And she runs to him in a nighty, like, and almost drops the love bomb. That's because he's the best undercover officer ever. That's what it, he's Johnny Utah, man. All right, yeah, okay, I forgot that. Master FBI agent. FBI agent. So good. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot. I mean, a lot of the ending does not make sense. Like, why is he still a police officer? How is he still a police officer? How is he still a police officer? Where does the helicopter come from? Why does he let him go? I mean, that's that weird poetic ending, isn't it? Like, you know, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna kill himself in there. He's a goner, but. No, I think you'd probably, uh, your police officer brain would kick in and be like, he's going to rot in jail. Yeah, not just die doing something he loves. Not make an impassioned speech, bruh, about being like zen and like, this is his moment, like he's Martin McCutcheon or something. You know, that's, I'm not having that. So this, is, this isn't boding well so far on the, uh, let, let's, let, I mean, we've got to think about, we've got to be objective, right? Always. However, however hammy the ending. Are you putting your paleontology hat on? I, don't make me bring that back out of the box. I've, I've put it away. I hid it on purpose. Just as well. Just as well. This is your. This is your choice. We're going to own whatever decision is made together. I like the against the clock. I like the montage. I don't mind the montage. I think it's a. It's a good. Good enough use of it. Yeah, and it serves the plot well, which is what I'm focused on. It's important, and I like how it builds the 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 against the clock element of the the tension created by that with the bank robbery. And then you have the, the pretty spectacular skydiving sequence. Uh, How have we not talked about this? He jumps out of a plane without a parachute. No one does that. And also Patrick Swayze throws his gun back in handily so he now has a firearm, can hold it to Patrick Swayze's head and then have to make a Sophie's choice about whether to threaten him or they both die in a weird macho standoff. Like we haven't even begun to cover this. I actually have some facts about this. So there's a TV show called Mythbusters who set out to determine in one of their episodes whether this was feasible 
or not. Whether a man could jump out of a plane, catch someone that had fallen before, and hold on to him whilst they opened the chute at the stage that they did. So it turns out that they would not uh, have been able to free fall for the 90 seconds in the film or be able to hold a conversation in midair. Uh, however, Johnny Utah, by streamlining his body, would have been able to catch up. A lot of artistic license in flight there. He's Johnny Utah, mate. Mary Sue, best undercover police officer of all time. That's just how it works. Not in my name. It's interesting, though. I, I might go watch that Mythbuster show after this episode. <laughs> but back to the scoring, because that's what we've got to be at. I'm, I'm sticking with the montage. I'm scoring the montage. I'm putting my foot down. I like the montage. I like the against the clock. It leads nicely into the what we've just described as a really fantastic, if albeit scientifically inaccurate, skydiving scene. And that works well for the end of the film. Okay, it goes into a pretty hokey, hammy, weird, pseudo-poetic ending where he dies doing what he loves. That's two positives for me for this. Well, let, me, let me stop you there. In football terms, are you calling this 2-0 already? It's what it sounds like to me. At this point, I'm calling it 2-0. I haven't looked properly at the impact of the Mary Sue because the Mary Sue is one of the biggest trope sins. Okay. So I've got to factor that in. Okay. But what are your thoughts? I mean, I'm still hurting from the, uh, the montage, but uh, I, can, I can move past it. Uh, I do think that being able to do anything, the Mary Sue, it is a real cop-out. I think almost any instance where it crops up, it's bad. It's almost impossible to see it in a positive light unless it is Rocky or Team America. I agree, I love a montage. I, I, you know, I, I can't deny my love for the montage. This might not have been the greatest example, but it's still a montage. I think you're probably right. The Against the Clock, again, very hackneyed, very stereotypical. Serves a purpose, though. And they are being utilised right. They are moving the story forwards, uh, helping with the, the story arc. I can't, I can't deny you with that one. Um... Uh, I think those goals weren't spectacular, if we're going to use football analogies. Maybe one was a penalty, maybe one was just sort of a tap-in. Uh, the Mary Sue, I think I'm with you on this one. I almost find it as a trope inexcusable when used to this extreme. Um, I'm going to say that is two negative points for the use of a Mary Sue. I hate it that much, Chris. Whoa. Well, when did you become the referee? When did you rescore? We still got foreshadowing to go, man. Mm. It's whether that's it's whether that's used well. It's two one as I see it. Two one as you see it at the minute. And I, and I kind of feel like uh, Mary Sue has got a yellow card. It's bordering on a red card. VAR will reveal whether it's a red card. So foreshadowing. I think this can use be used quite subtly. I think that's absolutely fine in terms of like aiding a story narrative, if sort of peppering something with some subtlety. This, for me, uh, there's not a lot of subtlety going on here. They've basically told you how it's going to end with the 50-year storm and the line, not tragic to die doing something you love. That's a biggie, isn't it? That is. They've dropped a clanger there. We're die. Yeah. That, that really sort of... Yeesh. If you're paying attention, it's not hard to fathom how this is going down. Uh, the football injury... It does give me the gunfire, hot fuzz, ah, dun, 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 moment. And, you know, 
like for that alone, that is iconic Spielberg. But however, then they really shoot themselves in the foot with uh, we don't go in the vault. That was a good Anthony Kiedis reference there. He shoots himself in the foot in this film, doesn't he? He does. And have we even mentioned Nikitas? We haven't mentioned Nikitas. Oh, he's popping up late in the show. Anthony Kiedis, uh, who is the lead singer in the Red Hot Chili Peppers, is one of the surfer punks who tries to do a number on Keanu earlier in the film and fails because Patrick Swayze also is a bit of a Mary Sue and is a martial arts ninja. But, yeah. So this film literally shoots itself in the foot. Literally shoots itself, figuratively, metaphorically, it does it all. Um, and so, yes, the, uh, the never go in the vault, it's just setting up for a fall. And I, I kind of feel that's some bad foreshadowing going on here. Let's, let's say I'm being fair and I don't double down on the Mary Sue. We've got two for the montage of improvement. We've got the against the clock. And we're facing up against the Mary Sue and foreshadowing. So are we so looking at two all? It's two all presently. Do we play extra time? I don't know how this works. Do we have an injury time trope? Do we? That could decide this one way or the other. So there is one that we can throw out there. Where's this come from, Chris? Well... If nothing, I am prepared, Jim Carberg. Oh, we're I, working with pros here. I love doing my research. More than just trivia, more than tangents. Come up with the goods when you need them. So, to describe this final tie-deciding trope, because I think the way this is going is we don't do draws. We don't do draws. There are no draws in trope land. Dystropia or utropia, that, them's, them's the breaks. Well, you can't say fairer than that. We said in the first one, this ain't no Fifty Shades. We binary, yo. In this movie, there is a scene where Johnny Utah monumentally balls is up. He thinks he's got the surfer bank robbers pegged. Why, I don't know. But he fails magnificently. And this is a trope that features in lots of films and can be used in far subtler ways, um, quite often in your sort of murder mystery sort of thing, sort of like an art of misdirection type of thing going on. So a, a, a misdirect that doesn't lead to what the eventual thing is. Well, I'm trying to avoid giving it what I've given its full title. So it has a, it has a formal title. Well, I've, I've given it a title, but I mean, it might be in the same vein as... Um, Spitty daffodil head, for all I know. So like, yeah, so, so like a, a red herring. A red herring, yes. That's what I was going for. Johnny Utah, he is thrown off in some way. He thinks he's got it pinned. He thinks he knows who the bad guys are. And they do a uh, botched stakeout. I think that's where the guy throws a dog at him, but I'm not 100% sure. That might be later, actually. Um, it's where Kida shoots his foot. It's where Keita shoots his foot. Basically, he thinks he's got the four ex-presidents nailed down. He thinks it's these punks that tried to do a number on him at the beach. He's so sure of it, he calls it in with Boosie. Haven't heard from him in a while. But Boosie's all for it. He loves it. He's going to take people down. Um, and they stage a raid. And there's shots fired. There's lots of death. And it turns out to be the wrong people because there's already a copper who's working deep cover on a drug bust and it's all a fritz. 
it all goes wrong and Johnny Utah gets blamed and he doesn't get fired for that that's pretty bad <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad like this guy is Teflon like people die like Johnny Utah doesn't seem to be particularly good at this whole undercover cop thing well that's what happens when your uh, your face wins MTV exactly awards you clearly had been you know he'd already been thinking ahead of this he was already at the awards ceremony writing his speech trying not to put Swayze down too much and acting too smug and being like, <laughs> ghost what? Like, the pot of this, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and also, um, in some of, like, there's so much dialogue in this that you can glance over because there's so many clangers in it. Boosie, during one of his more frank moments, summarising the failed bust, says, I had to kill a guy. I hate having to write that up. Sweep it under the carpet. Multiple people died. Your partner's culpable. You look like a moron. And you're right. It is an utterly moronic decision for our super cop, Johnny Utah, to make. Well, they even make a point of it because angry, shouty uh, guy from Scrubs makes the point the dates didn't marry up. When they did one of the bank heists, these guys were somewhere else doing something else. Why was no one talking to each other? The left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. LAPD's a laughing stock. Loads of bogus criminals are now dead. All because... All because... Johnny Utah is a Muppet. So... It doesn't look good, does it? It's not looking good. It's extra time. Extra time. We've got two all. Montage. Golden goal wins. Time frame. Tension. Against... Absolute cardinal sin of the Mary Sue. Yeah, it's unforgivable. And poor, poor, poor foreshadowing. foreshadowing. Terrible signpost. I mean, they might as well have just, you know, had a big, like, if you were going to have a map, this is like the X marks the spot, sort of, you know. You are here, you are getting to here, this is how it ends, by the way. About as subtle as tits on a fish. Exactly. Whatever that means. Must be a northern thing. I think in extra time, in light of the red herring, I think this is like a clanger. I think, you know, it's bobbled in off a shin. This might be an oggy. An oggy? An oggy, oggy, oggy. Dare we say it? We're in dystropia, aren't we? Oh, crumbs. We haven't been here before. I don't know what this feels like. I don't know if I like it. Well, after last week, it's... It was all joys and sunshines and rainbows and ice creams for everybody. It's a real contrast. And I, I, I like this film. I do too. But that's not what we're here to do. We're I'm not here to crestfallen. We're not here to like films. We're here to talk about them through tropes, through the through the prism of tropes. Indeed, indeed. So it's a dark day for Point Break and uh, Johnny Utah, uh, super sleuth and super cop extraordinaire. Three but two man. The tropes just didn't come through for him. They did not. This is officially dystopian. I don't know if we have a sound effect for that. <laughs> It'd be like a... What, what was that? The uh, <laughs> There was like a show that had like Riker from uh, Star Trek in it. And it was like... <laughs> Jonathan Frakes? Where, yeah, where they, they'd missed... Where it was made up stuff and it'd go boom, like busted on it or something like that. Because <laughs> <laughs> don't we have a whoosh coming for uh, something... For a dead horse. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do yeah, we'll do that. Okay. I'll I'll be a bit more inventive with my sound effects this time. Okay. Well there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Point break. 
is dystopian. It's official. I think we've been as objective as we can be. Um, you as a paleontologist, me as a semi-functioning biped. Um, that's pretty much all we can do at this juncture. I'm sorry. Um, things don't always turn out how you hope they would be. Let us know how you think we did with the scoring, whether we were fairer this week, or whether we got it right. Room what for your improvement. Thoughts are. Room for improvement. You know. You know, it's our first dystropia. Um, it's only the second time that we've done it. Yeah. Um, so maybe, you know, there might be a call for a review, but at this stage, it's confined to dystropia. But do let us know. Do get in touch with the podcast. How can I get in touch? Well, we are contactable on Twitter at, at @tropestormers. Okay. As well as uh, tropestormers at gmail.com if you want to get in touch with the show directly that way. Super deeps. Uh, We do have an Instagram. So we are tropestormers on Instagram. And we have our Facebook page of Tropestormers Podcast. Man, we're on all the social medias. So we're growing and growing. Tropestormers storming them tropes. Them tropes all over the web. Okay, so uh, as as we play out, uh, what are you looking forward to in the coming week, Mr. Carlberg? Well, the big dragon-sized elephant in the room is we're coming up to the big, big, big finale for GOT. Game of Thrones. And that's going to be huge. I, I feel like we're going to have to, co- to talk about that fairly soon. Ten years in the making. It's been quite the journey. Yeah, so we'll have, we'll have to have a think about that because that's a lot of ground to cover. It is. Social media has been having kittens, positively, negatively. You can hardly move out there in cyberspace for uh, Game of Thrones, fandom, uh, outrage. Kittens. Um, kittens. Left, right and centre. So we've got that to look forward to. I'm very excited. Pers- for, on a personal note... We also have this year's Gala Kitsch Spectacular Eurovision to look forward to. I'm sidestepping all of the political stuff. For me, Eurovision is a camp cabaret of spectacular fabulousness. It's about brotherhood of nations. Exactly, set to a catchy up-tempo Euro beat. It's what the EU wishes it was. Exactly, they wish they were. So yes, Eurovision... Can't wait. Love it. Absolutely fabulous. You can play a mean old drinking game to that, and I thoroughly encourage you to. Uh, Also, I saw this morning, um, a new trailer for Black Mirror has dropped. I'm a huge fan of the dystopian uh, Charlie Rucker vehicle. That would be a good one to look at, because um, obviously they tell very different stories. Uh, so you know you could have a podcast on an individual one to see how successful they are that's the beauty of doing those um, vignette pieces that you know don't link to another story you can look at them in isolation so it's a really great we way could. of looking at that sort of thing we could pick out some of our favourites indeed cool uh, and also on a personal note I am far behind uh, I am shamefully haven't been able to see Avengers Endgame yet and I'm very much looking forward to going to the pictures and checking that out so no spoilers. I know we spoil everything on this podcast. Yeah. But no spoilers no, for please, please my good friend Chris here. Yeah. All right. Cool. So what uh, do we have any plans for episode three of the podcast? Uh, I think we're going to have to build towards Back to the Future at some point. We're not we'll, there we'll, yet. We'll I get our, I, I, I do like the idea of time travel. I like it a lot, but I feel like our flux capacitor is on the blink. 
We're still perfecting. I haven't fallen over and hit my head in the toilet yet. Yeah, I need so. to smash our heads off some porcelain some exactly. more to, to get it working together. Precise. Um, Johnny Utah, a name very similar to that. If you were to segue along uh, porpoise, clairvoyance, you'd come to Johnny Mnemonic. Johnny Mnemonic. Another one of uh, Keanu Reeves' 90s canon. Featuring iced tea. And a clairvoyant dolphin. I mean, what we could do, we could look at something like The Matrix as well, if we wanted to continue on our tropian trials of Keanu Reeves. Although that sounds a little bit unfair. You know, we're going to have to let him come to terms with dystropia this week. I think we should like give the guy some room. Okay. Uh, however, obviously, on the social medias or on email or however you want to get hold of us, uh, if you have any ideas for something that we could uh, potentially investigate and see its trope worthiness... Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, I guess that leaves all of us to say thank you for your time. Thank you for your ears. It's been wonderful having you here. As we always say here on Trope Stormers. Like the pot of this, you bastard. <laughs> Bye for now. Bye, Cardias. <laughs> FBI! <laughs> yeah, that would have been a good one.